It's now my privilege to introduce our main speaker who comes to us from the Glasshouse Group. Please welcome Arlie. I want to thank Tim for inviting me over in this group for having me. I'm really honored to be here, and uh, I am enjoying the enthusiasm. This is really, uh, really something I'm uh, so uh, so grateful to be a part of. I think about all the folks that have been helped by this group, and there's been, uh, we don't keep track, and we don't keep score, and if we did, I'd be down the tubes, but, uh, you know, uh, there's an awful lot of people that have been helped, and there's a lot of people to be helped, and that's the reason we get to be here tonight, and the lights are on, and the doors are open, and the life-saving message is available, and uh, it just, uh, it's not restricted, and anyone can stop by. And that's what happened to me. I just got to stop by. I know you're going to celebrate your six-year anniversary coming up here in July, I believe, and and uh, you uh, you get to do some work uh, with folks that are that can't come to meetings in in this room. And and I've done some of that uh, last time I went to the uh, federal prison out in, in Fort Worth there, and that door locked and another door locked, and I've never been locked in that tight. <laughs> but I got out. So. That was nice. You know, when we read how it works, it talks about uh, how that we're naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living, which demands rigorous honesty. And I think about honesty, and I was the most dishonest person you could ever find when I got here. And so that's one of the things that I've uh, I've got to learn, not overnight, but it was a it was a uh, process. And I think uh, each one of us is in this process in in some way or another. And uh, uh, my name's Arlie. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Arlie. And I always, I'm going to always be an alcoholic, and, and my life's unmanageable by me whether I'm either drunk or sober. Uh, I've got the obsession of the mind and allergy of the body. And uh, if I take that first drink, you just as well start backing up the pickup because we've got to load up some booze. And, and there's no telling what will happen to me. But uh, I'm just one of many. And, uh, but I believe that God gave us a, he gave us a solution, and I, I firmly believe in that. Uh, my sponsor did tell me, he told me way way back a long time ago, he said, you'll never have to be alone while you're in AA unless you're talking after. In this case, it would be 9, uh, 9.30, so yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, you know, I, uh, I feel like that uh, the, there's some bad news and good news, and, and, but my disease is right here. It's right now. It's it's uh, present for duty, and uh, and... It, uh, I, I've got it, that disease that tells me I don't have it. I said, you're not that bad. And, and I've, I've heard that, that my, my committee tells me that from time to time. And, and uh, a, a guy that I sponsored called me last week, and he said, you know, I've been thinking about it. He said, uh, whether I'm really an alcoholic or not, he's got nine, I've, been, I've sponsored him for nine years. And I didn't want to hear that from him. And I told him, I said, you know, Big Book talks about controlled drinking. But I said, you and I don't qualify. I said, what we need is some controlled AA. <laughs> so I said, I'll see you at the meeting. <laughs> you know, what? We, the good news about that is the solution is right here, right now. It's in this room, and it's, it's within us. And uh, what we get to do is we get to pass that recovery on from one person to the next. And there was a, a, a conference theme, and the theme was pass it on. And, you know, uh, there, we don't have classes as such, and we don't... Uh, uh, we, there's nothing professional that goes on, as far as I can see, not in, in my career, but uh, I've, uh, it's, it's just a place where I get to pass my experience on to the next person that would be willing to listen. And uh, that's such a, a precious event that takes place. Uh, 
You know, you, somebody kept the doors open and the lights on until I got here, until we got here, and I am so grateful for that. Uh, let's take a moment to acknowledge God's presence. Thank you. I'm grateful that you took time out of your day to be here. I think that's such a, that's a gift to me to be here. And uh, I believe that we're making an investment today, and I call it the AA401 plan. And uh, I, don't, I haven't heard of any failures as long as, we, as long as we stick with this great book that we've got. My sobriety date's the 6th of January, 1994, and I'm grateful for every day of that. Uh, my recovery is, is by the grace of God and Alcoholics Anonymous and folks like you that would take the time to, to be here with me and be here when I got here. Uh, but, you know, the action's got to be taken by Arlie, and that's, uh, I have to do that every day. You know, I've done something to stay drunk every day. And I have to do something to stay sober every day, and I, I believe in in, uh, in doing the program. Uh, but I get to stay here because of a loving God and folks like you. And, and Christmas on 10 years ago, uh, I was locked up, locked myself in a room with the person that's trying to kill me, and I was working at it. And I was locked up in a room with uh, the malt liquor bu- malt liquor bull and a Smirnoff dragon. <laughs> and that was just uh, that, that's where I got to from on my own power. And uh, you know, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says each day, somewhere in the world, recovery begins when one alcoholic talks to another and uh, sharing their experience, strength, and hope. And that's what we're getting to do here tonight. Is, is uh, I've heard such an enthusiastic uh, group of folk get up here, and, and there's nobody here saying, oh, it's, it's just not working today, and this today has been the worst day of my life. And, you know, I, all I've heard is enthusiasm because that's what needs to be here is enthusiasm. We've got a new life today. I have got a new life today, and it's because of Alcoholics Anonymous and the God that loved me before I got here. Uh, I think that we, uh, we have to share that responsibility, and we have to continue to pass it on. AA saved my life, and it just keeps saving it one day at a time. And the big book talks about uh, to watch people recover and see them help others and to watch loneliness vanish and to see a fellowship grow up about you. To have a host of friends is an experience you must not miss. When I got here, I did not have a host of friends. I didn't bring any people with me when I came in here. And uh, there was a, uh, a couple of guys that had uh, I went to a funeral, and it was uh, an alcoholic funeral, an alcoholic's funeral. And, and uh, they looked over at him and said, oh, doesn't he look good? You know, his wife said he ought to. He hadn't had a damn drink in, in uh, several days. <laughs> <laughs> And there's a couple other guys who were making conversation, and they were talking. I said, well, you, they were pretty old, and they said, do you suppose they have meetings up there? I said, well, I don't know. Let's make a, let's make a deal. I said, the first one that goes away, I said, you send a word back and let, let the other one know if they have meetings up there. And uh, so uh, the guy was sitting in a meeting a few weeks later, and, and uh, a message came in, and he said, you know, it's the good news and the bad news. He said, the good news is, yes, they do have meetings up there, but the bad news is you're chairing tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think about uh, when I arrived here, and, and uh, I think about what alcohol had done for me when I arrived here, and it had, uh, it had, become, uh, it had succeeded, and it, it had become uh, my relief, and it started relieving me from my self-respect. And I didn't see that. It was slow and insidious, but my dignity and my security and my shelter and my family and my friends and my worldly goods, and I found myself being uh, outwitted, and, and I was baffled, and I was powerless over this cunning, baffling, powerful uh, disease that I have. And uh, every place I went, I wasn't having anybody, there wasn't anyone saying, welcome, and come back, and we'll and have a cup of coffee. Uh, the places I was going, why they were saying, out, we don't want to see you again. You're too obnoxious, you're too, uh, too noisy, you don't pay your bill. 
and uh, so I was uh, I was just about eliminated to the place where that uh, couldn't go to the bars. The two or three bars I went to, I wasn't much of a bar drinker, but I I they remembered when I was there last. But uh, <laughs> I drank in the garage. I became a garage drinker, and and I was uh, I was pretty good at that. Uh, And I, I was in that solution. I, it was called alcohol. I was in the solution, and it, was, it had become my master, and, and I could not not drink. And I, I, flew a, I had a career in the military. I flew on B-52s, and, and we was flying out over the Sierras one night, and, and we got a lightning strike, and uh, it shut down all the power in the aircraft. The aircraft was dark. The engines were still running, and the only way that they were feeding was uh, the fuel was being fed by gravity feed. And the pilot uh, called up, and he said, well, uh, they, they couldn't get the power back on. They'd done what they were supposed to do. And he said, crew, he said, yeah, I recommend that you take a look at, uh, at what you've got. If you're going to take anything with you, we may have to step out. And he said, I recommend that you get your heavy clothes because we're over the Sierras. And uh, uh, that was a dilemma. You know, lack of power was our <laughs> dilemma. <laughs> and, uh, but we, we, we're going to need to escape. And the big book on page 45 talks about lack of power was our dilemma. And uh, my power quit working. I needed, I needed a new power source. And uh, uh, they should have put a tag on me when I came in the door, put a, hooked it on my ear, and the battery's not included. You know, I was hopeless and helpless, and, and I had burned all the bridges with the family and the friends, and there's still smoke rolling off those bridges. And, and as, a, as a person, I, you could have hung another tag on me and said, not repairable. And uh, I think about in the military, we used to hang those tags on, on pieces of equipment we'd take out and send through the re repair cycle, but you could have put one on me that was not probably not repairable or, or recycling doubtful. But then I found AA, and that was God's will that I found AA. And, and uh, I remember the first night and uh, uh, after the meeting while you said, uh, keep coming back, and there was a sign up there on the podium that said, we care. And uh, I thought, wow, that's probably just party line stuff. You know, I really don't care. And, uh, but today I add to whatever else we say, just stay. We need, to, we need to encourage people to stay with us because I see so many people that stop. And they, I call it, on the aircraft, we used to call it a touch and go. It really wasn't going to land. We just acted like we are going to land. We touched down and we, when we took off again. And uh, uh, that, that makes me feel sad that, some, that, we can't, uh, that everybody can't stay. And uh, I've heard other folks say that if, if all the people that needed Alcoholics Anonymous that came to the meetings, we would have to get the stadium, you know. And so uh, we're, uh, I guess we're just a, uh, a very uh, fortunate few people. Uh, I had a, a military career, and, and I knew uh, that when the instructions, when I seen instructions, I needed to follow those instructions. That was very important. And uh, there was a, a, a time in my life, the only time I followed instructions was when all else failed. And I finally got to the place where instructions were, didn't mean anything to me anyway. And uh, I, I had a, a wife, and I had a family, I had, and they begged me, Dad, please don't drink so much, you know, and I said, I won't, and of course, I, I could not not drink. Uh, the, uh, we, fly, we were flying with a new navigator one time, and, and there's a young, young guy just out of uh, navigator training, and, and uh, he was smart, he'd been to the academy, and he'd been to the Air Force Academy, and and so what they'd do is they, they, their, their positions were down in the lower deck of the B-52, and and they had all this fantastic equipment. You could just press a button and it'd take you to wherever. And you put the longitude and latitude of the world point where you wanted to go and it'd take you there. But, but they wanted him to know how to do it if everything failed. And so, uh, so they'd let him navigate. And the pilot would point at the instrumentation and he'd 
kept doing like this. You know, we're getting farther and farther off track. And, and he wasn't supposed to talk to him. He was supposed to let him do it himself. And he called down there and says, Nav, so this is a pilot. He says, uh, give me a position report. And there was just dead silence. You know, pretty soon it says, pilot, so this is a nav. He says, uh, I don't know where we are, but we are on time. And that's, that's what I think about Alcoholics Anonymous. I was on time. I, if I'd have got there sooner or later, I don't know what, what the situation was, would have been. I think about God's logistics plan, and that's a plan where things have to be in place at a certain point and at a certain time. And uh, I think about my life, how that everything was just exactly where it needed to be. Uh, you know, as, when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was lost. I was really lost. I, I, I was just uh, in despair. And uh, kind of like that drunk in the corral that was holding the rope. He didn't know if he'd lost a horse or found a rope. And, uh, but you all threw me that rope, and you threw me the lifeline. And, and uh, Big Book talks about, uh, We in our turn sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. What seemed to be at first a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving, powerful hand of God. A new life has been given us, or if you prefer, a design of living that really works. And that's the power, and that's the gift, and that's the miracle in my life. We... Uh, you know, I was talking about instructions, and the big book talks about that, too. About, it says, uh, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book, and we hope for them that, that these pages, we hope that these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. And, and I sponsor a guy that he's had a list of things that he felt that it was necessary for him to do other than what I'd ask him to do. And, and he, uh, uh, one of them was to understand God. And I said, well, circle that one because that's going to take a while. And, uh, and, you know, we could get uh, self-help books and do a lot of research and so forth, but the thing that I've found that works so well is just follow the instructions. The proof is in this room. The solution is in this room. And, and uh, I don't need to ask any further questions. And I, as I got to sit in AA, uh, I knew that you all had something that I needed to have, and that was one of the convincers for me. Uh, you know, this guy was out driving around the country, and he, he uh, found a pig. He's in his pickup and looked around. There wasn't any fence or anything. A pig was just there, and so he put it in the back of his pickup, and he drove to all these houses and asking, is this your pig? And he said, no, it's not. So he took it back to town, and the cop stopped and said, what are you doing with that pig in the back of your pickup? And he said, well, I can't find the owner. He said, well, take it to the zoo. And so the next day, he's seen that guy driving around. That pig was in the front seat. <laughs> he said, the cop stopped him again. He said, I thought I told you to take that pig to the zoo. He said, I did, and we had so much fun, now we're going to Six Flags. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I had three or four meetings after I got into AA, and, and uh, I was out of alcohol. I was starting to sober up a little bit. And uh, my, my defense mechanism was alcohol, and it was, it was starting to go away. I didn't want to look at me. And I had that bare bundle of wires up here in the wiring harness in, in my head, and the start, smoke was starting to roll out my ears and, and uh, didn't have any insulation left. And I had been running from me for years. The big book said I was in full flight from reality, and that was I didn't want to look at me. And, uh, uh, you know, another thing the big book talks about is I can be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. I was full of anger. I was, I was really angry that I had got, had to go to some place like this to do something that I should have been able to do for myself. And, uh, there was a blacksmith that was working on a horseshoe and, and it was red hot and he had formed it and got it fixed up just like he wanted it. And he threw it out on the ground to dry or to, to cool down. And this drunk came by and picked it up and put it right back down and, threw it back down on the ground, and, and the blacksmith says, uh, hot, wasn't it? 
And he said, no, it just doesn't take me long to look at a horseshoe. <laughs> that, was my, that was my denial, but I, what I was in was I was beyond that. I was in delusion, and I was lying to myself and saying, it's, I'm really not that bad, you know. And it's like the, uh, the funeral the guys went to, and, and uh, they said, well, what did he die of? He had sclerosis of the liver. They said, well, why didn't he go to AA? Well, he wasn't that bad, and that was me. I was not that bad. That, that guy that, uh, uh, that I sponsored told me, he said, I, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic or not. I'm not sure. You know, in the big book, don't take any off on that. It just says, talks about the moderate drinker or the, or the hard drinker and said, if circumstances demand, we can give it up, or they can give it up. And I had been given a lot of chances to, to give it up. And uh, my ex-wife gave me a lot of chances, and, and the children, and, and uh, my commander, and my boss, and the corporation. I worked in a corporation, and, and uh, he said, uh, maybe you ought to get some help, you know. And they got those things like, what do they call the help things that, that people get nowadays? But anyway, they had help available. And, uh, but it talks about, if cert, you know, uh, it talks about, what about the real alcoholic? And now they've got to run the flag up for me. And it says, he may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker, but at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink, and that was me. I find myself in that big book many a times. Uh, I was in delusion, and delusion is a false belief regarding one's self that persists despite the facts, and, and uh, we were flying in Vietnam, and we got hit. Uh, we didn't get hit by the sand, but it exploded uh, nearby, and we took up a bunch of flak, and we had uh, had some fire, and, and uh, we were able to take care of it. But when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, my life was on fire, and I didn't know what to do about it. And uh, the uh, book talks again, the delusions that were like other people or presently may be has to be smashed. We, we alcoholics are men and women who have lost their ability to control our drinking. And we know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control over any consider considerable period. We get worse, never better. And I stopped five years before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. My ex-wife-to-be was telling me, said, you just can't stop drinking, can you? And I said, yes, I can. And I gritted my teeth and grabbed onto something. And, and, I, and she said, for one year? And I said, yes, I can. And I'll tell you what, I've had some time in my life, but that was the most miserable one year that I ever had in my whole life. And I don't ever want to go back that way. But what I was suffering from was untreated alcoholism. And my kids even said, Dad, you need a beer, you know, and I, and I <laughs> can't have one. Uh, I was starting to get some help. Uh, I didn't start out that way. I didn't start out that way to become an alcoholic, and it just slowly and studiously slipped into my life. And, and uh, I got to the place where I, I was, my financial situation wouldn't allow me to buy as much as I wanted to drink, so I started making it, and I'd done a pretty good job with that. And it finally got to the place where I couldn't make it fast enough for me, so, so I, that should have been a flag. Uh, you know, I, my dad was an alcoholic, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to end up like him. I, I uh, seen all the destruction that the alcohol caused on our family, and and uh, I watched him die an alcoholic death. And uh, I said, I'll never be like that. And I was drunk at his funeral, and I was almost as bad as my dad. Uh, and I, you know, that, that's what uh, I think about was God was taking care of me back a long time ago when I couldn't or would not take care of myself. Uh, you know, I, I uh, went, was, was in that place that Tim talks about at the glass house back here in that corner. It's still kind of dark, and it's, it, it hadn't changed much. And I call it the dare me to get sober row. <laughs> and uh, 
but we see the people sit back there and they sit back there for the same reason I sat there. I sure didn't want to sit on the front row. My first meeting and, and, uh, and I learned that I could sit back there and I could escape early and I wouldn't have to talk to all these people and I could come in late and nobody would say too much. And, uh, but this guy came up to me and I think he's seen my, my red eyes. They were still glowing in the dark, I think. I was, my eyes had been red for years. And, and he come up and he said, do you have a sponsor? And, I, and of course, I didn't know what the answer was for that. And I said, and I said no, I didn't have one. I wanted to lie. And uh, he said, well, I'll be your temporary sponsor. And I didn't know what that was going to entail. So that he said, meet me at the noon meeting tomorrow. And he had some authority in his voice. So I thought, well, I understand it. I can do that. But he said, and he was set up front, you know, and he said, sit up here by me. And I did that. He said, you can't hear back there. And uh, so uh, he had some marching instructions for me, and I knew I'd been in the military. I knew how to take care. I knew how to do that. And uh, he said, uh, be here every day at noon and meet me. Get here a little bit early because I'd be wanting to talk to you. And he said, uh, by the way, uh, do you have a relationship with God? And I said, no. I said, it's been quite a while since I've had any conversation with God. And he said, well, I just talked to him this morning. He said, you can believe that I believe. And he said, that'll work for a while. And uh, he told me to, uh, to, in the morning, he said, if you can't pray to God, just say help. And he said, I'll tell you what to read. He said, then call me. And he told me what time to call, to call him at 10 minutes to 6. And, you know, I was retired. Ten minutes to six. Yeah. That was 0610 military time. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then he said, meet me at the noon meeting. And he said, then when you get through in the evenings, he said, if you haven't drank, just say thanks. And he said, that'll work. You know, and that basically is still the same thing that works today. It, it's, those were basic, the basic principles. And uh, uh, I still, the folks that I get to work, work with, I tell them this is what we're going to do. And... Uh, have, I have good lineage from that sponsor. The, his sponsor was one of the guys that uh, was a charter member of the Glass House that helped start it, and a guy was a federal judge, and uh, he's uh, highly looked up to by quite a few folks. So uh, the lineage is working pretty good as far as what's been passed down, and, and I, can't pass down, I can't pass on any more than that, or any less than that, really. So uh, I'm satisfied with the sponsor that I have. I still have that same sponsor today, except that the only thing that's changed, I get to call him at five minutes till seven. If I call him at four minutes to seven, the hairdryer's running, and, I, and he's not happy because he had to shut the hairdryer down. <laughs> that's just, uh, yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> he probably wouldn't want me to wouldn't want me to say that, you know. But uh, one of the things that he told me is, is you know, in that 90 meetings in 90 days, is we're going to start taking the steps. And I'd heard other people talk about working the steps, and he said we're going to take the steps. And to me, what, what I got from that was that when, when, we got, when I got to that step where I was comfortable with it, it was my step. And now I, that's, that's my step, and I, I feel that I took that step. And, uh, you know, but for a long time there, I still had the obsession to drink alcohol. And I guess I, my, you know, my gears are grinding, and I say, well, the solution to that is because I drank for so long that I didn't get relieved from the alcohol. I had to, I had to suffer a little bit. <laughs> but I was in a non-denominational church one Sunday morning about six months after I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I felt something change. And I felt, uh, I felt the power that I'd felt when I was a young, young person in the Pentecostal church. And the power was on in that church. And, uh, so, but I felt like that I felt some of that same power. And uh, the obsession was gone. And... Uh, what I was doing was I kept a quart of Smirnoff in the trunk of my car in case I decided to defect. 
And uh, <laughs> I, I didn't want to drive two blocks to the liquor store. So uh, anyway, that uh, I got to get rid of the Smirnoff, and and, uh, and I thought, boy, this is it. It's I'm I'm there. I don't have that desire to drink. I didn't have to hang on to the chair. Didn't have to grit my teeth. And I come to find out that that was just the tip of the iceberg. And now we're going to have to start dealing with me. And I have alcoholism, I, self, and me. And uh, they found out the alcohol was just a symptom. And uh, I, I had went for a long, long time. I didn't know how to live. I thought I did, but it didn't. And uh, I needed to learn how to live this new life. I had hurt so many people around me in, in my professional life and in my family life. That... Uh, you know, in the big book, it talks about uh, without help, it is too much for us, and probably no human power could have relieved us or me from my alcoholism, and I needed help. And I thought, well, where am I going to get this help? I got this sponsor, but he's not telling me the secrets. And uh, the uh, thing I found out was that uh, the fellowship, I learned the secrets in the fellowship. It wasn't secrets. It was how God was working in your life and the proof that he was He was doing things in your life. And, uh, you know, that. I needed that uh, the God that you talked about, and I needed the AA principles, and I needed a good sponsor, and these things were starting to come together, and I thought, I'm only going to stay here for a little while longer because I think I got it. And uh, the longer I stayed, the more I found out that I, this was where I needed to be. This is, these were the kind of people that I needed to be around because you're, you're the only folks that, uh, that uh, would, with somebody like Chris, and he's celebrating one year sober, and uh, we celebrate one day sober, and it's the only place that we celebrate. People has had such a bad life before they got here, and we're celebrating that. And you know, but we've what we're celebrating is the change that takes place in the lives. And uh, but I found out that I've got a fatal disease, and it has to be taken care of. And uh, uh, the uh, B52 ejection seat's got a big warning up there. It says uh, ejection sequence must be initiated in uh, in order, or fatality will follow. And that's what. <laughs> You know, that was pretty pretty firm. <laughs> but I've got a fatal disease, and if I don't follow some instructions, and, and uh, like my sponsor told me, he said, we're going to take them in sequence. Sequence meant something to me. <laughs> but uh, we got to take care of that fatal disease. And, and uh, Sandy Beach talked about one time, he says, uh, his sponsor told him, says, you know, in the big book, says to either take up a spiritual way of life or die an alcoholic death. He said, tell me a little bit more about that alcoholic death, you know. Maybe I can work this out. Uh, but uh, the big book provides a beautiful path to follow, and it gives me 12 principles to accept and live by. And, and uh, it's a design for living. It works, and it says it works even in rough going. And, and it's my personal book of instructions, and I call it my owner's manual. And this is a beautiful owner's manual, and I... I bought an old MG. I was drunk, and I was out at the junkyard, and I said, I'll take that one. It was an MG that was wore out. It was rusted out, and it just uh, had been sitting there for five years with no top on it, and that's what—that's the one I want. I'd helped my son restore one, and I wanted one like his, and uh, but I didn't want to have to uh, pay the money for it, so I didn't pay the money for it. And But I had to get a, I had to get a book of uh, a maintenance manual for it. And I had to get a book of instructions on how to do things. And those Brits, they do things different than what we do. And so I had to learn how to do things different. That's what I get to do in, a, in uh, ANA. A &A, yeah. And Alcoholics Anonymous is, is I get to do things different. And uh, uh, today uh, I get to read the owner's manual. And, and I, one of the things I get to do is obey the unenforceable. When I was in the military and when you were on a 
any time I was in the military, but in in flight, you'd get a call from FAA. So change altitude from 32,000 feet to 34,000 feet, and you didn't question that. You know, oh, we don't we like it here. <laughs> no, you didn't question that. <laughs> you, just, you just went ahead and changed altitudes, and then pretty soon you'd look down and there was somebody else coming right below you. So there was a reason for that. Uh, a lot of people I've talked to, talked to and worked with, they've had to ask for reasons for why are we doing it this way, you know, and I just I, I have a hard time with that sometimes, but uh, <laughs> we're going to do it this way. Uh, you know, the, there's a guy I went to the doctor and he said, uh, the guy, he gave him an examination and done some tests and so forth and said, uh, we're going to do some surgery and you're going to have to give up uh, half of your sex life. And he, he looked around and he said, well, let's see, I wonder what half the, have it, either talking about it or thinking about it. <laughs> uh, I uh, was uh, born in a small town. Uh, I was born in Kansas, and it still it still stuck to me. But uh, anyway, I, I finally got out of there. But I spent my early early years uh, in small communities, and and uh, my dad was a contractor. And uh, very early years, he was in the oil business, and. My mother got killed in a car accident when I was five, and, and Dad, I'd never seen him drink before, and he started drinking, and alcohol took everything. It took the business, it took the money, it took the house, and, you know, I, I just couldn't understand that, and why he would drink and let that stuff go, and, uh, but I do today, and it's just, it's just what we do, and uh, alcohol treats us all the same. I really believe that uh, in, in those respects, but, uh, you know, uh, I had a I had a younger brother. Brother passed away about a year and a half ago, and uh, uh, I have a stepsister. And I was married to the same woman for 40 years. I have three children. I got two sons and a daughter, and I've got grandchildren. Wow! And uh, I I just wonder what it's going to do to me. My ego was crushed when I had to admit that I'm a grandfather, and now it, there's a possibility I could be a great grandfather. Wow! Uh, but I had a 30-year career with uh, with Lockheed, and I had a 10 I had a 30-year career in the Air Force, and I had a 10-year career with Lockheed, and, and I got divorced from that 40-year married. I showed him, and uh, God, at that time, he reassigned me to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, and I say reassigned is because that's what the military used to do. You didn't just walk in someplace. You, they said, you're going to be reassigned to Minot, North Dakota, and uh, I believe I've been reassigned to Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and in the military, you couldn't leave until they give you a new assignment, so I, I don't think I'm going to get a new assignment, so I'm satisfied with where I am right now. Uh, the uh, I uh, didn't think I was going to have any opportunity to go to college, and uh, I'd done real well in high school. I played and lettered in all the sports, and I was on the National Honor Society, and I'd done real well. But uh, my parents moved away, and uh, my dad, had, uh, I couldn't get along with my stepmother. And so he said, I'm going to board you out. And the people that I boarded with says, uh, your dad hasn't paid your board bill. And uh, so I said, well, I'll go over and tell him, and he'll be over. And I went over, and the house was empty, and they had moved and left me there. And uh, God was taking care of me again. I was a sophomore in high school, and I got uh, I got a job at a gas station, and I was still able to do the sports and do everything I wanted to do. And I had an old car and got cheap gas and kept me from siphoning gas, I suppose, you know. But but I got to uh, – I had a pretty good life, and, and uh, but I remember my dad, how that he was uh, so abusive, and, and uh, I said, I'll never be like that. But uh, – 
Um, we moved around a lot, and but I did get to stay in that same place and finish up high school in all four years in one place. And and uh, but I I went ahead and and I went into the Air Force and and uh, uh, they trained me in uh, in a year long school in Denver, Colorado. I got to you know I was that was really a neat place, but I got to be in Denver and uh, uh, trained me on how to repair bomber radar. And uh, uh, my first station was was in Kansas, and I stayed there for nine years. I was still trying to get out of Kansas. Uh, but I did learn one thing in Kansas that, that uh, and I hated it because the wind blew so damn much. And then uh, I got stationed up in North Dakota, and I found out where that wind came from. So uh, <laughs> I learned something there. And uh, I uh, used to go out and work on the airplane, and, and uh, I'd see these pilots come out there and, and the flight crew, and they'd had their little briefcases and their nice flight suits, and they'd get on board and crank engines on an airplane that we'd worked on all night long. And uh, they took off, and then they came back and they came off, and they were still looked pretty good shape. And so I thought, well, maybe I can do that. And I put in for flight training. I got accepted. And, and uh, so uh, my first uh, reward in flight training was uh, to go to Minot, North Dakota. And uh, that was not the, it was, wasn't a garden spot much. But uh, uh, my family was young, and it was a good experience. We, we all stuck together, and, and the people up there stuck together pretty good. But... But we started going back and forth to uh, Vietnam, and, and uh, uh, the, uh, there was a rule on the aircraft, at, uh, around the aircraft, there's no smoking within 50 feet of the aircraft and no drinking within 12 hours of flight. And I got those reversed sometimes, and, and my drinking took off. And uh, I thought, well, you know, if they're going to shoot at us, well, I don't want to be feeling everything when we get hit. And you know they hit the aircraft in front of us and one in back of us and and it was it was a quite an experience but uh, uh, I went uh, done a pretty good job in Vietnam and they reassigned me to a flight school out in California got to stay there for four years beautiful assignment and then they sent me to northern Michigan to the Upper Peninsula and that's where it really snows and and by this time I had two children in high school and one to seventh grade and the wife hated me the military in Michigan and there was lots of insanity and lots of domestic disagreements and. And uh, anyway, we went to a house party one night and walked in the door, and the guys were waiting, and they handed me a drink, took my coat, and, and we're, ready to, we're ready to get on some serious drinking. And she said, I suppose you're going to stay here and talk to these guys and drink the rest of the night. And I said, well, yeah, I think I will. You know, and she said, well, I'm not staying. And so she left. And I thought, you know, I, I got home about 1 o'clock in the morning, and I slept on my usual spot on the couch. And the uh, phone rang at 5 o'clock in the morning, and... Saturday morning, I said, man, there must be some trouble someplace. And uh, there was. My wife had stopped by the wing commander's house and was going to tell him all about me. And he just happened not to be home, so she went across the street to the vice wing, the next guy. And uh, that's, who she, that's who she stayed with for two hours and told him what a horrible person I was. And I thought, well, he'll just rip my wings off and throw them in the wastebasket when I report to him. And he told me, he said, better get on down here. I need to talk to you. Went down to his office and we had a half a cup of coffee and talked about news, weather, and sports for about 20 seconds. And he said, you know, so she was at my house. She was telling me all about you last night. My heart was just dropping. And he said, Arlie, he said, you're going to have to get rid of that bitch. She's going to ruin your career. <laughs> <laughs> but I got uh, reassigned to Carswell and over in Fort Worth. And, and uh, I thought the thing that I needed to do was get, a, was get stuff. And I had two new cars and a, and a fairly new house. And I had three teenagers and... Two of them was heading for college, and uh, things were really, really taking place at a, at a rapid rate. And then uh, I found out that uh, 
that I was going to have to get a degree if I was going to get promoted. And so uh, I went ahead and started on that, but I was stopping by on the way home from getting my degree and drinking. And uh, finally, the, you know, I'd, I'd come home and there's all this stuff out in the yard. It was my stuff, it was my clothes out in that front yard, you know, and I had to gather up and gather it up in my matching luggage, my black plastic bags. And, and uh, they were, they were uh, oiling the street out in front of the house, and I had some nice shirts. I, that's when I was working for the corporation, and I, I dressed nicely every day, and, and uh, the tire tracks on those shirts never did come out. <laughs> she threw my stuff in the streets, you know, and that was where no human power could get me sober. She was telling me. She was giving me a message when she was doing that. And uh, anyway, uh, uh, I kept on going, and, and uh, my last assignment in the military, I, I worked uh, for a general. And I got treated very, very nicely, and I didn't drink quite as much then. And I graduated from college, and I asked the wife, she said, you're coming to the graduation? She said, I'm not going anyplace with you. I don't want to be seen with you. Still telling me, you know, again, more message. And uh, anyway, I came home and passed out on, on the couch. I was pretty good about that, and I passed out on the couch, and, and uh, she wrapped this blanket all around me so that I couldn't go anyplace, and she beat me up with a ball bat. You know, no human... <laughs> No human power could, no human power could beat me sober. <laughs> so I escaped again, and, and I had to, I had to have, a, I had to have the final move out. I knew what I was doing by that time. It took me about 15 minutes, and I was out of the house. And I, I got a dingy place in the in the industrial section of Fort Worth, and and uh, you know that uh, I was gonna, I was just gonna drink myself to death. And and at that time, you know, you've seen that poem about footprints in the sand, and. And there was only one set of footprints, and it had been that way for a long time. And, and, uh, but I got a phone, and it had a pager on it, and, and I'd press the pager and see if the phone would ring, because it wasn't ringing. I wasn't getting any calls from anybody. And uh, anyway, uh, my daughter staked out the liquor store, and she found me and caught me, kind of. And she said, Daddy, so we're going to have a, a uh, Christmas party over at the house. The big ha- I call it the big house. We're going to the big house. And, and the grandchildren are going to open their Christmas gifts. And she said, would you come over? And I said, yes. And she said, but please don't drink. And I said, I won't. And that day came, and I had the, the packages from Neiman Marcus, and they were Neiman Marcus wrappings, and I was in my coat and tie, and I showed up drunk. I could not not drink that day or any day. And uh, I'll never forget the despair I seen on my daughter's face. And uh, she and my son threw me out in the yard and said, you're just a drunk, we don't ever want to see you again. And I, there was a window about that wide. I had a moment of clarity. I said, well, you know, how did I get, how did I get here? They've, they've thrown me away. And uh, I think that that was my window of opportunity. And I met an Al-Anon lady at a seminar, and she, she looked at me, and she just took one look at me and said, you need some help. And uh, anyway, she told me about the glass house, and, and uh, uh, I found it, and I... And a glass house has got uh, some windows on the back side of it back there, and I drove around it, and I was looking for the drive-through window. I thought if I could just get some information, <laughs> I can do this myself. Yeah, but that wasn't the case, and I had to go in, and, and I prayed the prayer, God, uh, God, please help me. And uh, uh, I thought I'd just stay for a little while, and I'm, and I'm still staying for a little while, and I'm glad you gave me a little while, and, and uh, I'm so glad I get to, get to be in AA. I love AA. And... Uh, but I was lost way back then. I was lost in the wilderness of alcohol, and I was a throwaway. And uh, I'm presently, I call myself, I'm on the product improvement line, and I'm being recycled. And it's just a process that takes takes a long time because I was in such bad shape. The guy that's one of the guys that started our our uh, uh, unit over there, uh, 
his name's Jim Williams, but he's, he said, you're going through the rock crusher. And that's what I was doing. I was being reshaped, and I, and I had to do that for a while. And I'm still, I still have to jump in every once in a while and get some rough edges knocked off. And I, uh, uh, I'm not a smooth product yet. Uh, I drank for 36 years, and I wasn't sober in, in the last five. And uh, not, not one day. And, and, uh, but I got there, and you, didn't, you just took me in. You didn't ask any questions. You didn't say to fill out this application, how much money do you have, what kind of car do you drive, uh, how, how much is your house payment. There wasn't any questions asked, and, and I was glad for that. And I belonged to a lot of organizations, and I filled out a lot of petitions, and I paid a lot of money to be in a lot of different places. But this was uh, just come in and be with us. And I found out just over a period of time that I was just exactly like you all. You all told my story when I heard you talk. Yeah, I've done that. And... Uh, but I wore this coat and tie when I got there, and there wasn't too many people wearing a coat and tie in that place. And, and I uh, finally somebody told me, said, you know, I said, you don't have to wear that coat and tie every day. And, but that's what I wore to work. That was the last thing I remembered wearing, so that's what I wore. And uh, finally I found out that, you know, uh, I, was, I wasn't a racehorse. I was just a zebra, so I had to join up with the zebras, and I'm so grateful that I got that opportunity. Uh, you know, the, the big book talks about me, and, and in no uncertain terms it says, uh, what I was like when I got there. And the less people tolerated me, the more I withdrew from society and, and from life itself. And I became a subject of king alcohol, shivering denizen of his mad realm, the chilling vapor that, that his loneliness settled down. It thickened, ever becoming blacker. I sought out sordid places, hoping to find understanding companionship and approval. Momentarily I did, and then would come the oblivion and the awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen. Terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. I was unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. I will know loneliness as few do, and I will be at the jumping off place, and I'll be at the end. I will wish for the end. And uh, that was the place that I found myself before I got through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I found out that we have that common thread. And uh, I'm an alcoholic, and I have alcoholism. And I, I'm in the right place. I'm in a safe place today with, here with you all. Uh, I found that unconditional love, and I didn't know anything about that. And I found acceptance and friendship. And, and when I came in, why well, you all wanted to hug me, you know, and I kept pulling back and pushing away. And, and I didn't know how to do that. And I didn't know how to receive it or give that. And I never, I never hugged my kids. I shook hands with my sons. And I you know, just kind of nodded at my daughter. And, and, uh, but you know what you were doing was way back then, you were getting ready to get me to a place that when... God finally gave me, my family was gone, and when he finally gave me those kids and grandkids back, I was able to give them a hug. And now today I've taught them how to do that because they didn't learn it at our house, and uh, I've taught them how to do that. And when I go see my son lives out in Joshua, and I go out and see him and, and uh, quite often, and we work on some cars together, and, and uh, I get there and he gives me a hug. And he says, Dad, I love you. I'm glad to see you. And then when I get ready to leave, he gives me another hug, you know, and, and so... That was things that was not taking place in my life when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, you know, on page 29 it says, Further on, clear-cut directions are given showing how we recovered. And how we recovered was to follow, follow through with the steps and, and, to, and to get a sponsor and, and to be a part of the fellowship. And, and uh, I, what I hear in here is you love your home group. And I think that's fantastic. I love my home group. Don't get between me and that door because I'm going in. I'm going I'm to go to a meeting. And... Uh, you know, it's kind of the things that I do each day. Uh, there's about five things that I do, and I think about a big ship that's tied up, and they, they've got ropes holding that ship, and I've been on some big ships. And uh, uh, when the water's calm, it just sits there, and the ropes are slack, and not, not really, one of them is not really taunt, not holding them. 
But when the storm comes up and the waves start rolling in, all those ropes start holding. And that's what I think about the five things that my sponsor told me I need to do is I need to do them all. And, and so, uh, therefore, I, I, I followed through with that, and, uh, uh, and it works. I, I, li I like stuff that works. That really makes me feel good. Uh, what I, uh, one of the things that I'd done when I first got to Alcoholics Anonymous is I had a relationship. And uh, three months after I was there, my sponsor just, he's still in orbit, I think. But, you know, uh, a relationship is, is described as a really exciting love affair turns into outrageous nightmares, sobriety hangs in peril. And there I was. I was hanging in peril, and I stayed in that relationship for nine months. And it was another miserable nine months, you know. And I, <laughs> I kept saying, this ain't it. <laughs> I thought it was, but it wasn't. And uh, anyway, I, I finally uh, was able to, that finally terminated. And uh, when she told me, she said, if you try to leave, I'll shoot you. And I knew she had a gun, so <laughs> <laughs> I survived the ball bat, but I can't outrun bullets. <laughs> There's a... I, I used to go out and fly, and I had this little book, and I was keeping track of all the stuff, the airplane number, and how many touches and goes, how many touch and goes we'd done, and, and uh, what the flight consisted of. And this old colonel come out, and he says, "What are you doing, son?" And I said, "I'm keeping track." He said, "You don't have to do that." He said, "There's an office on the base that takes care of all that stuff. You don't have to worry about a thing." And uh, he said, "You know, there's only one, two things that I keep track of, and that's just that the number of takeoffs and landings are equal." Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I, I really needed to get uh, was faith. I didn't have faith. I could see it working in your life, but I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And, and uh, I think about faith as uh, a time when we returned to the base at 3 a.m. and the fog was thick and low visibility, and we were, had fooled around, and, and they'd sent us to Abilene, and Abilene was the same way, and we couldn't land, so we came back and we started to get low on fuel. And we are going to have to land, and, and uh, we tuned up the radio, and and uh, got a hold of air traffic control and said, Bomber 2-9, this is air traffic control. Uh, maintain your heading and start a descent to flight level 10,000 feet and contact approach control on 125.3. And Bomber on approach, this is approach control. Continue descent to 2,000 feet. There was a brief delay and said, this is a final controller. We have you on precision radar. Start descent. No further verbal communication on your part will be necessary. You're 8 degrees right of center line, 500 feet low, correct back. You're on altitude, you're on center line, you're over the runway threshold, land now. And it was there. And that's what I think about my faith, that it's, it's there. AA is here, and a solution is here, and there's no analysis needed. And no further authentication on my part will be necessary. Uh, I think about uh, what happened to my dad. I, I got to watch him pass away, and, and uh, there was, uh, he, he would change from a loving father to a a uh, raging demon with alcohol, and he would be physically abusive and mentally abusive to the family. He was uncaring and irresponsible. And I said I'd never be like that, and I said that early on from when I was very small. And uh, But I almost did that, and uh, except that I got to meet you all. And God uh, directs my path, and he directed me to AA, and you all took me in and taught me to be different. And uh, I, get to t I get to take the steps, and I got to learn how to trust God and uh, uh, learn how to clean house and learn how to help others and, and love the ones around me. And, and I still get to help a lot of folks today, and I'm so grateful that you all taught me how to do that. Chris, congratulations. Such a great thing. And uh, thanks for having me. The format of tonight's meeting is, is group participation, followed by a short break, followed by our main speaker. 
We ask that you limit your comments to two or three minutes so that we can hear from as many people as possible. We also ask, in order to avoid interrupting the meeting and to show respect for those who are sharing, that you turn off all cell phones and pagers and refrain from getting coffee during the meeting. Before we begin participation, I'd like to thank our speaker, Harley, for coming out to speak for us. Ronnie. My name is Ronnie Grubbs. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Ronnie. And sobriety dates August 12, 2002. And Arlie, looking forward to your talk. Thanks for coming down. And happy birthday, Chris. Um, you know, I guess I, I've been thinking all week about. <clears throat> Bad deal. <laughs> been thinking all week about um, you know, the home group and and the the people that I've come to know as as close friends and uh, which is something that I never never had really in in life. And you know, we went we went away last weekend on on a group getaway, and it just it was just a real nice time. A good time of fellowship. Um, as we were driving home, my wife and I were in the car and just started talking. And for, I guess, about the first 45 minutes to an hour on the way home, just talked about what we took away from the weekend. And talked about each individual person that we were there with for the weekend and what we what we found out about that person that we didn't know. And And I look back on all that and, you know, for the first time in my life, I can I can honestly say that that I care about other people and, 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 you know, and, and want to try to get to know other people. And that's, that is so, so far removed from, from the way I used to be. You know, I was a taker all my life. Um, never cared about anybody but myself and, and, a, and a bad alcoholic. And, you know, I, I, to put all that into perspective, you know, I'm just so thankful and grateful for what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me today. Uh, you know, at one time I was the type of alcoholic that, you know, if I know today that if I take a drink, <clears throat> that it'll be just as bad, it'll be worse than, than it was, you know, before, during my last drink. And, you know, I'm starting to understand and grasp what I suffer from. And, and you know, it's a scary thing. And it's a scary thing to know that I'm just a few bad decisions away. And and that when I start thinking and, and start doing things my way and not the way that I've been taught in AA, um, you know, things things get bad for me even today. But but Alcoholics Anonymous has offered a solution for me to a problem where once I take a drink, um, it, it kicks off a phenomenon of craving in me. And I'll never know once I get that first drink into me where I'm going to end up or where I'm going to be or how long that will be. And, and, uh, you know, even though the alcohol is removed, uh, I still suffer from alcoholism today. You know, my thinker doesn't work. And, and that's why it's so important for me to remain active and committed to my home group and remain accountable to my sponsor. And, and most importantly, to, to always be reaching my hand out to work with another alcoholic. And as long as I do those simple things, get on my knees and pray every day and read my literature and, 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 and follow those directions that have been real clearly spelled out for me. And, you know, things seem to go well. 
and and life's a whole lot different than it used to be and and i'm I'm just real grateful and thankful for that more than I know how to express and I'm just really really excited to be at a meeting and and looking forward to to the rest of it thanks Bruce. Bruce Hicks, Recovered Alcoholic, December 29th, 1976. Hi, Bruce. Hi, everybody. Congratulations, Chris. I've had several anniversaries, but my favorite one would have to be my first one. And I have to say that when I came up on one year, I was in shock to think that I could stay sober or had stayed sober that long. And after the meeting, I went back to my house I opened the door, and I was a member of a group about twice as big. And it seemed like everybody from my group was in my house. And it was a surprise party. And the neat thing about that is that a year before that, I didn't have a single friend in the world. And I didn't care about that. I didn't like anybody. I didn't want to like anybody, and I was fine with that. And and uh, there I was with more people than I could cram into you know, a regular big house. So um, that first year, a lot of things changed. And God has given me a lot of blessings, and a lot of them have been through people. I think people are, you know, the best asset that we can have, friendship, friends uh, that will stand by you. So congratulations. Steve C. Steve! I'm Steve Connor. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Steve! This is my first time behind this podium, so I guess I better get used to it since this will be my home group because on Monday I get out of Cornell. Yay! Uh, <laughs> yay! <laughs> I've, been, uh, I've been locked up in jail and in Cornell now for over a year, and... Um, I just I look forward to getting out and getting a chance to start my life over. And uh, I just want to say thanks to this group and the people in this group because uh, a lot of positive things have happened in my life since I've come in contact with these people in this room. And uh, I'm real grateful for that. And I look forward to getting out and learning more about the disease of alcoholism, finding the solution because I know it's in these rooms. And I'm just grateful to be here. Thank yeah. you. Joel. Joel! Joel! My name's Joel and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Joel! And I've been sober since early this morning. And through the help of God and this program, I've been able to stay sober since early in the morning, since the 8th of November of 2002. Uh, this program has changed my life. It, uh, it took a long time for me to get it. But when I got to the point where I had been beat to the point that I realized that I didn't have any other options, then uh, I was ready to take some action. And I got a sponsor, and I worked through the steps, and the steps are working in my life every day. Uh, It amazes me at what's happened to me in just a short period of time. God is completely changing me. Uh, I don't really react to anything like I used to. And things are happening into my, in my life that I know there's no way in the world it could happen because of Joel. It's happened because 
of God working in my life. And I wouldn't be willing to give that up for anything in the world. Uh, I love AA with all my heart, and uh, it saved my life. And it's exactly what I've always been looking for, and I don't plan on going anywhere. This thing is working for me. Thanks. Doug. Thanks. My name is Doug Gibbs. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Doug. I've been sober since December 27th of 1999. And Harley? Harley. Like like the the motorcycle. Looking forward to your talk. Harley. 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 Gotcha. Harley. Got it. Uh, And Chris, happy birthday, bro. I, I liked Chris from the second I met him. I don't know why. You know, I just, I did. That's, that's not like me. Um, that's, that's great. You know, that this, this program works. You know, it works in your life. And I, and I too have been thinking about the home group, you know, and how, how, how much it means to me, you know, that we actually invest in our, in our home group because everything else could, uh, you know, go away and we've still got our home group. And things like this past weekend are just things that I've never thought were possible that I would enjoy. And, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the the examples that have come before us, both good and bad, because I, I, for the first time in my life, I hurt my back about a week ago, and I've never had back pain before. And oh my god! <laughs> and after after a weekend getaway and a day at work, you know, finally went to the doctor, and um, I mean, this is just a kind of pain I've never experienced, and and I did not know this, but they like to script. A lot of narcotics for back pains. And the first one was uh, Vicodin, and the other one was Oxycontin. And I'm thinking, Brett Favre, Rush Limbaugh. And, <laughs> and then I remembered Valpy, and I remembered uh, Sean. And I thought, you know, don't even, and he was like, you know, take the prescription, and then if you need it, and I'm like, no, just keep it. Don't even, you know, and, and, and because of sponsorship direction, I did. What he told me to a long time ago, and I went to a doctor and did the, the history, the medical history, and I didn't lie. And he looked in there and went, oh, yeah, alcoholism. Okay, no problem. You know, we'll go another route. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And uh, I'm looking forward to your talk again. Bye. Cooper and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Hello. <laughs> I've been sober since January 16th of 04. Um, I just caught that. <laughs> anyway, uh, I guess I'm still not allowed to thank yet, so. <laughs> so I'm just still following directions, like I've said the last three weeks. And uh, that's about it. Thanks. <laughs> Chris B. Chris B. Green. My name is Chris Bird. I am an alcoholic. Hi, Chris. And I've been sober since December 20th, 1988. Um, welcome. Look forward to hearing you speak. And happy birthday, Chris. I was uh, listening to a few people talk, 
and I was reflecting back on my first year anniversary, and I was crazy. I was 21 years old, and yeah, I wasn't doing a lot of things I was that I had been doing. Um, I was fresh out of uh, the penitentiary, but I was still crazy. You know, I was crazy. I don't think I'd even completed my fourth step yet. So I was, you know, I still had all that stuff inside and it was just, you know, oozing out of every little crack and cranny it could. um, (laughs) It wasn't pretty, you know. And uh, and this week um, out at uh, Cornell, uh, man, that's great. You're getting out, man. That's that's great. Um, You know, I was there, me and Steve were on the um, uh, on the other side there and uh, speaking. We kind of gave a little short story and then took some questions afterwards. But, you know, I was just, you know, as I was talking, you know, I was looking around at the, the different people, you know, falling asleep and the guys that were actually paying attention and whatnot. And it was reminded of me, you know, because I have been sitting in the same chair that they have been, you know, that just not a clue, you know, didn't have a clue what those people that uh, while I was, you know, incarcerated, you know, people would come and they'd give you a book, you know, and I lost it, of course, and um, and I wouldn't listen, pay attention at all in the meetings. But, um, you know, I was just reminded of, you know, just how, you know, blessed I am with my life today and where I am. Um, I, it's amazing. I've worked, I've actually worked in a jail um, for a, a local municipality. And you just don't go from being an inmate to working in a jail on your own power. You know, you just don't. So glad to be here tonight. Thanks. Steve. Steve. My name is Steve Dine and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Steve. It's date, August 24, 2001. Arlie, thanks for coming out and speaking for us. And Chris, happy birthday. Um, man, it's been a good week. I, too, have thought about when I was almost at one year a few times. <laughs> and, you know, that, that story of, of Amy talking about, you know, the only reason you went out is because you didn't want to have to quit smoking kind of, you know, came up in my mind today. And you know, just thinking about that and... And, that, you know, there's some truth in that. You know, I, when I get up close to a year, I get squirrely every time. And I, I don't, you know, I imagine some of it was, was, I mean, I know a lot of it was because I wasn't following directions from a sponsor and, and working the steps. But, you know, some of it was that idea of having more responsibility and who, you know, and, and who wants to have all this attention at one year if you're not doing everything, you know. And so I, I think that was part of it. But so, you know, now when I hear people talking about how they're squirrely at one year, I kind of have a new insight to that. But, <laughs> um Anyway, it's like I said, it's been a good week. I, I was thinking about what along the lines of Chris and, and Tuesday night and that idea of, you know, those guys were asking about sponsorship and just that, that gratitude and, and just knowing, you know, just, you know, you'd say it, but they, they don't seem to hear it. You know, I, I, you know, I told them that I can guarantee you my way did not work. And if I didn't have a sponsor, I would not have worked the steps the way that he had me work them. You know, it just, I can guarantee you I wouldn't have figured it out on my own. You know, it, it wouldn't have mattered. And, and uh, my idea of direct amends has, does not even come close to direct amends. <laughs> you know, I, th- <laughs> I think that's, you know, you're supposed to do that anonymously and send a big check when you save it up. You know, that's, that's my idea. You know? <laughs> anyway, thanks for letting me share. Bobby. Bobby 
Bobby Selman, the alcoholic. Hi, Bobby. And uh, been sober since October 14th, uh, 2003. And I'm just here to listen. Thank you. Timmy. Timmy. Daddy, I'm Tim Moore, alcoholic. Friday, June 14th, 1994. Alright, looking forward to hearing your story. Thanks a lot for coming out. Happy birthday, Chris. And, uh, you know, we were talking a bit outside the, the, the meeting here before we got started, and uh, I was reminded of what it's like to be a newcomer. Because uh, over at our group, there's a section in there, they have a big meeting hall, and there's a section back there where it's kind of dark and shadowy. And the newcomers hang out back there because it's close to the door. And they don't get picked on too much. They don't get called on. They can just kind of hang out back there amongst themselves. And, you know, I can just see myself back there, you know. I can just see myself when I was new. And that was a spot that I would want to be drawn towards because I didn't want to be pulled out for the light. I just wanted to kind of do my own thing and evaluate, you know, check some things out. Maybe not even go in the meeting first. Maybe just go by the meeting the first few times, check it out, then go hang out in the corner. And what it really took is, is getting in with a sponsor who pulled me out of those shadows, you know. I mean, I, I got in, I kind of revealed a little few things to him, and he just kind of pulled me along. You know, and he did it by giving me a little commitments to do, like making regular phone calls, you know, getting to the meetings early, you know, staying late, studying this book. The same basic things we hear in the meeting but he put it to me in a way that, you know, it was uh, either you do this or I'm not the guy to sponsor you, you know. And I was just tired of sitting in those shadows. And, uh, you know, I thank God we have the direction. And I was, that same night we were talking about uh, interaction. And I was just, got excited talking about my home group, you know. Could we just come back from our weekend? And I just get excited describing my group to somebody else. Because knowing that you come to interaction group, you're going to get a solid AA meeting. You know, I know that we're we're solidly based, and you're going to show up any night, and you're going to get a good AA meeting, and I'm just glad to be a small part of it. Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Danny. I'm Mike Erickson. I'm alcoholic. Oh, and July 19th, 87 is my sobriety date, and I'm having a good time tonight. I'm enjoying this thing called sobriety. Uh, welcome, Arlie. Joel, glad you're here, too. Uh, good to see you, Mel. Um, and uh, welcome to, I can't remember your name, but I met you earlier. I promise you I did, and I know you have a name, and I'll learn it soon. But I'm glad you're here. Uh, you know, I've sponsored lots of rotten newcomers over the years, lots of rotten newcomers. And, uh, and I promise you, Chris was just as rotten as every one of them that has ever come in. Uh, and I promise you this, the steps will take rotten people and make them whole. And, and it's not, I'm not being rude by saying they're rotten because I was rotten when I got here. I was rotten on the inside. I was rotten on the outside. I treated people rotten. I was a rotten egg when I got here. And I'm not near as rotten. There's still little rotten pieces floating around here and there, but I'm not near as rotten as I was when I got here, you know, as the day I got here. And uh, it has been an absolute... Uh, it's an absolute privilege to to watch a guy come this far and pick up a year. And so, Chris, happy birthday! I love you, brother. I really do. And uh, 
it's a you know it's a special part when you get to share a guy's life like that when a guy when a guy calls you sponsor and trusts his deepest darkest secrets to you uh that is a that's something unlike you i hope you stay around till it happens because it is absolutely what i believe we're intended to be here for you know i was in my morning meditation this morning i uh i was reading about uh do not store your treasures up on earth keep treasures or keep the treasures of heaven treasures that will pay you back when you get to heaven and uh and that's what this deal is all about is every time we pull one of these drunks out of the mire out of the cornell out of the goonie roost out of the out of the you know the the loony bin the zulu center wherever we pull them out from you know wherever we pull them out from every time we get one and they hang on and they get active and they form the chain and they grab that next guy behind them. Man, I, I always I forget the staggering effect that one person's sobriety can have. One person. I look at my great grand sponsor and, and we when we went for his fortieth birthday, they said, Call up everybody. They called up everybody who was sponsored by Johnny. And there was about fifty people on the stage. Okay? He was spon- actively sponsoring fifty men. With 40 years of sobriety. Okay? And then they called up the grandbabies. And that group grew to about 250. And then they called up everybody else. There were about 500 people in the audience. And there were only about 50 people left in the chairs. Because one person stayed in here and followed the simple directions in this book. Which were, I will completely give myself to this program. That I am an alcoholic of a type called desperate. That I am dying of a deadly disease. And like we talked about earlier, my options are insanity or death if I live life my way. But if I live it this way, if I live it this way, look what comes to pass. Look what, look what comes to pass. Stick around for any given period of time and see what comes to pass as a result of storing treasures in heaven by weaving this stuff into the fabric of my life. Amazing. You know, and today I was, I was thinking along the same lines, everybody, that uh, that I absolutely love being a part of you people and that each one of you, kind of like you and Kim were talking about on the way back home. My wife and I sit and talk about how each one of you has woven a unique thread through our through the fabric of our existence. Each one of you have has done something that makes us go, God dang, we're just just happy to be associated with you. You know, and that's not supposed to happen to drunks like me. Because I drink and I destroy people's lives. I mean, that's what I do. I drink and I tear the hearts out of people. And, and you know, and, and not only have I gotten to watch my life and my relations get better, but I watch yours. And every time I watch yours, every time I watch you go through the same things, it makes me convinced that what I'm doing is right. It just absolutely reaffirms it. That's why sponsorship is so important. That's why the direction Tim talked about is so important. Because I, I love that analogy of hiding out in the shadows. I hid in the dark places because I didn't want anybody to see the truth about me. I didn't want you to know the deep, dark, dirty sickness that lived inside me. So I hung in the back. I hung in the corners. I stayed out. I mean, I, I, I ran. I could not stand for to be exposed for the fraud that I was. I couldn't stand. And my sponsor grabbed me and pulled me up and said, sit your butt right here. And you just shut up and listen for a while. And they had to treat me like that because I was, I mean, I was off. I was rotten when I got here. And uh, and I'm so grateful that they did. 
I'm so grateful that they just said, sit down and be quiet for a while. You can learn right now, and you'll be better off if you just listen and learn. Thank God I didn't have to think about what I was going to say in the meeting, what brilliance I was going to bestow upon you when I got here. (laughs) You know? They just let me be new. They just let me be new, you know? And they let me grow in in the time that I needed, and they gave me firm direction. And they always caveat it with, if you want what we have, and you're willing to go to any length to get it, then do what we do. If you want something else, do it your way. But if you want what we have, then come do what we do. I'm glad to be here. Thanks.